0: You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, Can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I've had some time to kick back a little bit and enjoy the summer. I've totally revamped my flower garden. I put in a new drip irrigation system. I added some topsoil and then I planted some new xeric perennials, and um, I just have a little postage stamp flower garden because that's all I have time to take care of, but it's satisfying and it's fun, and I can keep up with the weeds and and it looks great, and it's fun. It's right outside my door. So that's been a fun distraction when I'm home. I've also enjoyed some time at the lake, being on my boat. Fortunately, I can still do a lot of work from my boat. I do a lot of writing and Zoom meetings. I've even actually recorded the podcast there also, some of you may remember, I've done a few live videos uh, from inside my boat. Um, some of you discovered that, couldn't figure out where I was recording from. And this was goes way back to the original shutdown in March of 2020, when I started live posting every single day, daily doses of horsemanship. I did it for 60 straight days. Um, by the way, you can find all of those video lessons free on my YouTube channel go to youtube.com slash goodnight. There was a lot of fun. Uh, some of them were sort of classroom lectures. Some of them were exercises and workouts you could do inside. And some of them were actually hands-on with horses. Those daily doses have remained very popular. And I even just this morning was communicating with one of my online students who was new to the uh, online program, but she had been watching the daily doses to help her get uh, control of her horse's ground manners. So check that out. Just go to youtube.com slash Julie Goodnight. Here at home, I'm just down to one horse of my own. Usually I have at least two, but right now I just have one and uh, she's my sweet little mare, Annie. She's 50, Fifteen-year-old finished horse, been there, done that kind of mare. She doesn't require much maintenance to her training or much riding. She does get exercised daily and ridden by either me or my assistant trainer at least once a week. But now in the heat of the summer, she's enjoying a more relaxed schedule, just a little morning workout early in the morning before she goes out to pasture. And when it gets hot and buggy in the afternoon, they come inside and stand under the trees in the shade. So she's having just as lovely and relaxed a summer as I have been. Um, It's a nice break for her. Since we don't have any pending events coming up in our schedule, she gets uh, a little more chill time. So that's nice. I, myself, am already starting to get in the mindset for the slew of clinics I have coming up this fall. I'm starting to think about the schedules and the lesson plans I'm going to be working on, the travel logistics. I've got to get back in a traveling frame of mind pretty soon here. I've got two ranch riding clinics at the Sea Lazy U here in Colorado. Then I'm heading two riding trips in Ireland with Connemara Equestrian Tours. After that, I head to Murfreesboro, Tennessee in October for the CHA International Conference. I'll be making presentations there to riding instructors, trainers, and barn managers and the like. This event is open to the public, and in the one of the coolest things about the CHA annual conference is that we always have them at places that can provide school horses so that conference participants actually get to ride in the lessons on qualified school horses. So it's a really fun, hands-on type of conference. It'll be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee in October. You can check it out at cha.horse horse. Uh, by the way that's dot .horse instead of dot .com so cha.horse and click on the international conference after that i head back to c lazy you for the horsemanship immersion program in october this is a 5 day horsemanship intensive I really enjoy this program because we get to go in-depth into the things I love most about horses. We we really get into behavior and training, behavior modification, confirmation, a lot of veterinary stuff. It's super fun. Uh, That finishes out the year for me, and um, by then I'm going to be ready for my winter break So for more information on my clinics, the horse expos I'll be attending, and the riding vacations, uh, if you'd like to take part in them, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos. All of that at shop.juliegoodnight.com. In this episode of my podcast, I'll talk about tricks of the trade I've learned throughout my career about horse grooming and how to get a bloom on your horse. I'll specifically address and separately address the mane and tail, the hair coat, the face, and the legs. We'll talk about best practices for keeping your horse comfortable in the hot summer months and to keep your horse glowing with health year-round. Plus, in the What the hey Q&A segment at the end of this show, I'll answer questions from listeners about a horse that's been bullied and ostracized from his herd, about an older mare that won't stand still for mounting, and a question from Down Under about saddle fit on a barrel-shaped draft pony. You know, environmental conditions vary greatly depending on where you and your horse reside. And we have listeners all over the world to this podcast. So depending on where you are, your concerns may be quite different from mine when it comes to your horse's um, external care, shall we say, and your horse's comfort in the summertime. But the longer you've been grooming horses, the better you get at it and the more tricks you learn. I've been at it for over half a century now, and I'd like to share a few of my best tips with you in the hopes you find something that helps you and your horse. So we're going to start by talking about the mane and tail. That seems to be one of the big uh, things that comes up the most about grooming care is how do I get that long, thick mane and tail? I guess the mane and tail is very iconic of the horse. Look, not all of us want a long, thick mane and tail. Some of us are more... uh, Shall we say workmanlike oriented, and we don't want that long mane and tail. We, you know, even go so far as to shave that mane right off, roach the mane because it's getting in the way. And others think it is one of the most pleasing aesthetic qualities of a horse. So uh, there, there's no one right way there to think about. And also, um, not unlike humans, horses our individuals, even horses within the same breed, are going to have different qualities to their mane and tail hair and different qualities to their hair coat on their body. Um, by the way, mane tail is quite different from tail hair. The tail hair is much thicker and coarser if you you know look at the individual hairs. Some hair is wavy, some is straight, some is thick and coarse. Some is um, thin and brittle. So, you know, really similar to uh, what we see in humans. And just like in humans, you're sort of going to adapt the things that you do and the way you care for your horse's mane and tail accordingly. You know, we've had horses... And most of our horses are quarter horses I'm talking about. Even within one breed, you can have one horse whose mane is, you know, approaching two to three feet long and thick, you know, an inch thick at the crest or more. And you can have another horse who struggles to get four or five inches of mane and it never seems to ever, ever, ever grow. So there's a lot of uh, variables, um, and you you have to adjust what you do to the individual. But in general, if we want to get that really thick, smooth, silky, healthy-looking mane and tail, um, the first thing I would tell you is that less is more when it comes to brushing and combing the mane and tail, One of the biggest causes of thinning and hair breakage in the mane and tail is overcombing. So if you want thick and long manes and tails, you want to avoid combing and brushing it. Always use your fingers first to debreed the tail, get any kind of Um, you know particles and stuff out prize them out gently with your fingers comb through the hairs separating gently um, places where the hair is trying to knot or combine you know we always start from the bottom work our way up um, I often just use a body bra- brush or a soft brush on the mane. I, I focus a lot on um, the soft brush, just brushing over the crest of the mane. That helps lay down the mane, and it also helps those short hairs at the top, um, trains them to lay down a little bit better. So e- my first advice would be to avoid brushing and, and combing, if at all possible. But you don't want knots to form and you don't want debris to stay in the in the mane and tail because that's where knots form. So keeping it clean is the golden standard. Uh, we probably wash the tail more than any other part of the horse's body because we'll even wash it two or three times throughout the winter. Um, I've got a little trick I use with a plastic garbage bag to wash the tail in the winter and rinse it um, without getting water all over everybody. You just It's a bucket wash using a garbage bag. Um, and when you're ready to rinse, you just cut a hole in the bottom of the bag and drain it into a bucket. So it works really well. You can probably figure it out. It's not too complicated. So keeping that mane and tail hair clean, and um, we don't want to put a lot of goopy stuff on it because that attracts dirt. I think that using a product on the mane and tail to me is is really important. Just like I use it on my own hair. Um, in fact, one time I remember reading an article that said that the average person uses something like thirteen to sixteen products every time they take a shower. And I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever heard until I actually started counting the different products that I used. And I don't think I I use a lot when I take a shower, but it adds up fast if you um, think about it. So I don't use a ton of product, uh, a, a ton of different products, I should say, but I do use the same products over and over. And a detangler is important. I like Shoshin because, I'm, um, you know, I've used it since I was a kid, practically. And, um, you know, the detangling aspect is huge when you're trying not to break hair um, and you are trying to get those knots out. And let's say you, you've had um you've been trying to avoid combing out your horse's mane and and now you discover you got a little knot formed in there underneath or something so that's when i'm going to pull out that detangler spray it good soak it good sometimes i use the um, detail uh Shoshin gel for this reason because you can work it into the knot And then the important thing is to let that detangler do its job. In other words, leave it alone for a little while, come back 15, 20 minutes later and start gently working that knot out of there. So the detangler is important to avoid breakage, but uh, Shoshin also provides a protectant layer to the hair. It coats the hair with a protectant layer. So it helps prevent breakage. And it helps keep that hair, the core of that hair, a little bit cleaner. It has a way of repelling dirt. And so I think that's a product that's going to really help get that, not just the shiny, silky-looking hair, uh, but over time thicker hair because it prevents breakage, uh, particularly when you're combing it and stuff like that. Trimming the mane and tail may or may not be something you need to do. But let's talk about the tail first. Look, I've got some horses and we keep their tails lightly braided so that they it helps minimize breakage. And our horses' tails get, can get really long and really thick. But we have to be very careful not to let the tails get too long. So some horses require very regular shortening of the tails in order to prevent them stepping on the tails uh, when they're backing up or turning around or or moving suddenly. Um, They're going to be more likely to step on their tail when you're riding them. So if your horse does have a very long tail, you might want to think about putting it up when you ride the horse. But we like to keep our horse's tail Um, above the fetlock of the horse. So we um, use a technique called banging the tail, which is that, you know, you wash that tail, you you put the detangler on it, comb it out, let it dry, but keep smoothing that tail hair down nice and long. Um, Let that tail dry. And with the horse standing square on solid ground, um, you, you basically just run your hand down that tail and it's easier said than done to get a nice clean jaw, but with a very either a very sharp pair of heavy duty scissors or um, using your clippers uh, with the clippers on, you're going to um, short cut that bottom of the tail off bluntly, um, and uh, that just gives you a nice fuller look to your tail uh, when you bang it at the bottom. But so shortening may be something you have to do. Um, with your horse's tail on occasion. And then the one thing I would say about trimming for your horse's mane, if shortening the horse's mane is your objective because you wanna keep the mane short just because of functionality or you like the look of that, which I do, I I love a short mane, particularly on a thoroughbred, Um, or maybe you're gonna be braiding the horse uh, for horse show or whatever, if you want that mane short, the best way to shorten the horse's mane is by pulling it. And um, the art of pulling a horse's mane short is probably a lost one. It's not easily done. I'm pretty sure I have some videos about it somewhere, but you'll want to shorten the mane by pulling it. And that's when one or two hairs at a time, you find the longest hair it, hairs in that section and you um, run your fingers all the way up to the crest, and you just pluck those hairs out. You only do it one or two hairs at a time, and so you have to have patience, and you probably need to do it over uh, days and weeks, not all in one session. But if you try to shorten a mane with scissors, I will tell you right now, it's going to look terrible. Don't do it. If you feel like you must shorten with scissors, hold the scissors vertically and trim slowly just a few hairs at a time, kind of using going after the one or two longest hairs and and cutting ver- in a vertical slice, not a horizontal one. Um, but it's very difficult to shorten a horse's mane with scissors and and make it look good. However, I will tell you this, if you have a horse's whose mane, is kind of ratty looking because maybe it rubbed out a little piece at one time or somebody bit a chunk out of its mane or or maybe just because of knots or whatever, its mane is real uneven. It's not attractive and it's going to look better just like if somebody whose hair is very unkempt and long and sticking out in all different directions is going to look better if they get a nice clean haircut, your horse's mane is probably going to um, stand to look better if you even it up. And I would say if the horse's mane is very thick, I would use the technique of pulling the mane to even it up. So start where it's the long, it's kind of step back and try to get an overall look. From, from far off of sort of what's the mean level. Um, you know, the mane hairs are shorter up towards the ear of the horse and then longer as they come back towards the shoulder and then they get shorter again at the wither. So you wanna maintain those natural lines unless you're going very short, then you look for the line which is the arc of the top line of the horse's neck and you're gonna follow that line so first, you've got to visualize, you know, how you want that trim mane to look, sort of a line of your haircut. And then you're going to start with the longest hairs and slowly uh, trim them up using that vertical motion of the scissors. As I said, just do a little bit at a time. And it's easy to get in that situation, just like when you're cutting people's hair, of getting this section too short. Now we gotta go so shorten this section and then and next thing you know, uh, all the hair is gone. So stand back, take a far off look, try to visualize the line you want um, that mane to take, but often a little trimming of that um, real ratty kind of mane will, will do a lot to improve the appearance of the horse. So um, give that a consideration. If your horse's mane splits sides, a lot of people like to train the mane to come to one side. I, you know, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but keep in mind when you force that hair to the other side, you could braid it to make it stay there, or you could put a some kind of hood on the horse that makes the hair lay down on the side you want it. But just like if you did that to your own hair, try to change where it naturally falls, you can change it, but just like that would make your scalp sore, it might make the skin on his neck a little bit sensitive and sore. So I would, you know, just take that into consideration. Make sure you, you know, just are aware of that fact. And and maybe you just think, you know, we need, whatever. If his mane splits the sides of his neck, so be it. And by the way, there's we don't really know why One horse has his mane on one side of the neck and one horse has it on the other. And then some horses, it seems to split both sides. But one theory is that the mane will fall to the side that the horse favors. So in other words, most horses are either right-sided or left-sided. And it seems like maybe slightly more are um, left-sided. And um, just like more people may be right-handed... So there is some thought that if it, it the mane falls to the strong side of the horse, I'm not sure that's a, that's really true. Um, but if it is, then when you have a horse, and and my good horse Dooley was this way, his mane, no matter what you did, if left to its own devices, his mane always split down the middle and fell on both sides, and um, up towards his up towards his ears, it would. More of it would fall on the left and back towards his withers. More of it would fall on the right. But it kind of took a nice even split. And I gave up trying to make it fall on one side because I didn't really care. But I always wondered if that meant he was very balanced on both sides. So who knows? Um, But keep in mind that changing, forcing your horse's mane hair to the other side could at least temporarily make his neck a little bit sore. So just consider it. When I am grooming mane and tail, the tools that I'm using primarily are my fingers. I will also use a body brush, a soft brush, as I said, on the crest of the mane. I soft brush the dock of the tail, the top of the tail a lot because I want it to really lay down smooth up there. I have often been asked what I think is the best uh, main and tail combing device and I will tell you I don't know the answer to that question but what I use is human hair brushes made for detangling and you know you need to find them that are strong cuz they're going to be easily broken <laughs> you need to replace them often but it's not um, so much the brush as how you use it and uh, making sure you use detangler uh, but they make certain hair brushes for detangling and I would uh, look look for those. As far as products on the mane and tail, I've already mentioned. Um, I like to use the Shoshin hair polish. I also use the Shoshin detangling gel, which comes in a little, you know, squeeze tube. So it's super. It's much easier to pinpoint and target uh, where you're detangling. It's super easy to use on the mane and tail. And also. I use Shoshin two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. I I like it because it's the shampoo and conditioner all mixed together and it rinses really easily. That to me is the big thing is uh, I want that shampoo that really gives me good cleansing down to the skin. That's important. The conditioner is important too, but I don't wanna deal with how many different rinses and how many different products. So I like that it's combined. And um, it rinses really easily and thoroughly. And so that's a really big thing for me with any kind of um, shampoo or soap product I use on my horse. I want to be able to get it out of the horse really thoroughly and really easily. So that's why I use those products. Let's move on now to talk about the hair coat of your horse. And the hair coat covers his entire body. And we often think of the hair coat in terms of just dealing with the neck and the barrel and the hip of the horse. But the hair coat covers his face and his legs and the top of his tail, and it creeps up into the top of the mane. It's around his ears, you know. In, so it's, it's hair coat all over his body, even though what we mostly see is that neck and barrel, and hip. But I will tell you, you know, if, if, if what your ideal is, and this is my ideal, is I want that sleek, shiny horse with dappling coming out, that deep, rich kind of undercoloring, marbling coming out in his hair coat. Not all horses, uh, depending on their color, will dapple out. Um, some horses are naturally dappled more than others. But I want that rich, deep sheen to the horse's hair coat. I want the hair to be thin and slick and smooth so that it almost looks like glass or marble uh, when you're looking at the horse. And this kind of hair coat, I will tell you, yes, there's a lot of elbow grease involved. And yes, we're going to talk about products and tools and stuff like that. But nothing is more important than your horse's nutrition when it comes to that healthy, shiny, glowing look to your horse. That is the look of a horse that has really good nutrition, that is on a well-balanced vitamin program, that has um, parasites controlled. These are the things that make the greatest difference. And it is really true that you you can gauge a lot in terms of the horse's health his nutrition, and how well he's being taken care of by looking at the health of the hair coat. When our horses switch from eating hay, and we have a really good high quality hay, but when we switch them over in the summer from eating hay to green grass, you can see a difference in their coat that you couldn't see before just because that green grass makes such a difference um, in terms of of the overall vitamins and and, um, the glow that you get in a horse's coat. Adding oil to a horse's diet certainly helps bring out the shine in the horse's coat. Um, Just for the same reason, if you added oil to your diet, it would help keep your skin from let's say, being dried and flaky, um, so adding oil to the horse's diet. I think you know we use that as a part of their nutritional plan anyway um, by adding um, fish oil to the horse's um, grain. So um, consider the vitamin supplements. And then we. I have completely switched from regular application of deworming chemicals to my horse to... Uh, twice a year getting fecal egg tests on each individual horse and only deworming as needed. I have some horses that pretty much are going to never need deworming. I might give them a Panicure Power Pack every three or four years just sort of for the general maintenance of it. But when their fecal egg counts come back clean um why would i want to give the dewormer to them if i don't have to so depending on your climate we're fortunate to have a climate where we don't have a lot of that uh, a lot of parasite problems we also keep our stalls and paddocks obsessively clean and that has proven to have a huge impact on the parasite load on your horse so Consider that, but if you're in a climate or a situation where there's overcrowding or whatever that's going to naturally lead to more parasites, then you want to really um, consider upping that plan just a little bit. Talk to your vet about these things. So when it comes to really getting a horse looking showroom slick, and, and I don't even show my horses. I just like them to look that way. I do need them to appear in front of cameras a lot and in front of live audiences a lot. So there is that factor. But I personally just like my horses to look really good, and it, it, is, it is beautiful and pleasing to my eye. So... There's no way around applying a ton of elbow grease to get a horse that really has that slick, ultra ultra shiny, beautiful hair coat. And you know, whether you're using an old school rubber curry comb or I personally prefer to use grooming gloves and um the only The only product I'm aware of that I would even consider using on my horse is a product actually made for horses, high-quality product. They're called um, hands-on grooming gloves. And you fit them to your size. They come in in several different sizes. Fit them to your hand. And so you have one in each hand, right hand, left hand. And you have, on the tips of your fingers, you have finer... um, knobs, and then at the base of your palm, you have rounder, wider knobs. So it allows you to really use your entire hand and your fingers delicately. And I like to be able to lay my hands on my horse, head to tail, every square inch of his body. I like the gloves in particular because I can use both hands. I can control the pressure. I can feel my horse's skin Uh, So I can feel where there's a little scab or a bump or something that needs further investigation. I can go down the legs. I can do the legs inside of the legs easily. And I really love it that I can use it on the face of the horse as well because I can control the pressure. And uh, you can use it around the bony areas uh, without putting too much pressure. So really getting a good, thorough curry on your horse's hair coat every single day you groom him is what is going to bring out the shine and color in your horse's coat. You've got to get down to the skin and that helps stimulate the oils. It it helps break up that layer of um, dander and crust that wants to lay on the skin. And as my horse's hair gets shorter and shorter in the spring, I stop currying so much with a circular motion and start currying with a short, deep stroking motion only in the direction of the hair. So the slicker and finer your horse's hair coat gets, the less of circular currying you're going to do and the more stroking in the direction of the hair. But it's really that elbow grease that's going to bring out the shine in your horse. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens, um, but you'll see changes uh, within the first week. But it's really going to take a good solid month of grooming that horse to really um, get somewhere in terms of bringing out the color in his coat. Another thing that can be very damaging to your horse's hair coat is just simply the UV rays. Now, this is going to be different in different climates. For for me, it's a big concern. We live at 8,000 feet of altitude, 8,000 feet above sea level. The UV rays are 40% stronger than they are at sea level. And just like people can get a sunburn faster, your horse's hair coat will fry over time in that kind of sun. And it gets sort of a frizzy, um, sort of almost split end looking dull sheen to it. And sometimes that's just simply from sun damage. So we keep our horses, if they're turned out during the day, they've got a uh, fly sheet on, which has UV protection, a light colored white or uh, silver color you might want to consider if uv damage is of concern a lot of places not just for the uv damage but also strictly for the heat a lot of people like to keep their horses in the barn during the day and turn them out at night horses are good with that Um, they generally prefer to be in where it's cool and shaded in the heat of the day anyway so you that's one consideration Uh, we don't do that but we do keep our horses covered um, and of course, the fly sheet helps with the biting insects as well. That's another area that's going to have a big impact on the health and look of your horse's hair coat. The more he's bitten by bugs and the itchier he gets, the more he scratches and leans on things, um, the more that's going to disrupt mane and tail and hair coat. So we like to keep the insects off. With fly sheets, also copious amounts of fly spray. So they get sprayed in the morning before they get out. They get sprayed at night when they come in. Um, So if I have a horse that's particularly sensitive skinned, we're going to address that. Sometimes you have horses that have to go on an antihistamine during the summer in order to tolerate um, because they have allergies So these things tend to affect the skin of the horse if you have a horse that's prone to hives and all of that. So you do whatever you can do to mitigate. And um, watch your horse's hair coat. It really truly is a barometer of your horse's health. Now, another way you can damage the look of your horse's hair coat is by allowing sweat to accumulate in your horse's hair over time. Uh, In a perfect world, every time your horse sweated under the saddle or bridle, that sweat would get rinsed out of there. And what happens is that that hair, if that sweat builds up in the skin and hair, let's say under the saddle, because you've ridden now four or five times in a row in the summer and the horse has gotten sweaty under the saddle and you didn't rinse that out, you're getting a lot of sweat and salt and grime building up in that hair. And it's just gonna basically grind into the hair, causing discoloration of the hair, um, and, and damage the hair. So the cleaner you can keep your horse, the better. You don't have to wash him with soap every single day, but preferably you can at least sponge out. Maybe you'll, um, you know, use a little bit of liniment, like uh, throw a little absorbing in your bucket, and that um, just little bit of liniment help um, not only feel good to your horse's muscle, but help uh, rinse out that sweat and grime out of his hair coat, I think it's appalling myself to uh, turn a horse out that you've just ridden who's got gross, sweaty ears and and back and chest. Um, Just like I wouldn't myself want to have to go to bed dirty and grimy and itchy Um, I think it's unreasonable myself to ask a horse to do all this stuff for you when you're riding. It's all about you, 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 and he carries you around, he packs you up the mountain, he does this and he does that, and then you just turn him out with um, dirty sweat marks on him. So I think that's a sign of poor horsemanship myself. And personally, it's a pet peeve of mine. Everybody knows that around here. (laughs) Don't turn a horse out with sweat marks on him. So I know I'm a little picky that way. Um, Sometimes we're in a situation where we have to, but just try to be considerate to your horse. So when it comes to my horse's hair coat, as far as tools used, I've already mentioned the grooming gloves. Uh, By the way, the hands-on has just come out with some finished grooming gloves. And these are really great because, um, like I was just talking about sweat marks, these finished gloves have a coarse side and a polished side, shall we say, or a finished side. And the coarse side is kind of like a burlap side. It's a glove you put on your hands. And that burlap side will take sweat marks out of the ears and face. You can rub rub all over your horse's face and they love it. Uh, We take the sweat marks out, Uh, If the horse is just lightly sweated, um, in other words, he's just barely gotten wet, uh, we might just give him a minute to dry and then rub that sweat out with the coarse side of the gloves. Then you turn those gloves over and just whisk away the dust off the back. Um, So those finished gloves are great. By the way, the hands-on finishing gloves are not actually out on the market yet, but they will be soon. I've been field testing this this new product, and I think they're fabulous. You can find out more, and you'll be the first to know when they do come on the market and where they will be available. All you need to do is go to handsongloves.com. A body brush um, is going to be the thing that is really going to help bring out the shine in your horse's coat, and just make sure whatever brushes you use on your horse's face are intended for the face, meaning that they're really, really soft bristled brushes. Um, I use face brushes, and in fact, we sell these brushes. Um we sell the my favorite brushes. and I use face brushes that feel good to use on my face. That's how sensitive your horse's face is. We'll talk about that um, in just a minute. As far as products to use on the body, as I mentioned already, Shoshin 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner to keep those horses clean. Um, I'm going to follow that up with the Shoshin Hair Polish. But a couple of other products that are super useful. uh, One is Miracle Groom and this is a waterless shampoo. So we use a lot of that in the winter when we can't shampoo the horses. Uh, but maybe you have a horse where you just, you know, brought him in to ride and he's got a big old manure stain or urine stain on his hip or something like that. You can just uh, spray a little of that on and kind of shampoo it out of there without getting the horse wet. Also, for the uh, more stubborn stains and if your horse has a lot of white on him, you might look at the stain remover and whitener. I like to use it for white socks when I want, I'm trying to get my horse ready for an event or a a photo shoot. I really want those white socks and white markings to pop. I'm gonna use a little bit of that spray whitener um, uh, as I'm shampooing. Also, if sun damage is a concern for you, there is a product called Santa Fe Conditioner and Sunscreen. It is a coat conditioner. And it has sunscreen in it. So it's meant for horses. It's called Santa Fe conditioner and sunscreen. And uh, we often use that on horses that we don't want to keep covered in the summer. All right, before we move on to the face, let's talk for a minute about the legs. I think the legs are perhaps the first most undergroomed part of a horse. It would be a toss-up between the face and the legs. Uh, most people tend to totally ignore these parts of the horse. I can you know, totally look at a horse, particularly look at their face, but at their legs too, and immediately tell how much grooming that horse has had over time. Remember, your horse's hair coat covers his entire body, including his legs. You need to really get in there and um, curry that hair down to the skin When you get into bony areas like the legs, it gets very tricky because if you're using a hard device like a hard curry comb or, heaven forbid, a metal curry um, or even just a stiff brush, sometimes that can be uncomfortable to the horse in those bony areas of the legs. That's why I like to use the grooming gloves. I can feel the bony areas in my hands and my fingers, and I can adjust the pressure accordingly, but yet, I can still get in there and cover the entire hair and skin. Get to the inside of the legs, the inside of the hocks, in between the legs. There's a lot of places tend to ignore, like the haw ho- up. Uh, there's a lot of places people tend to ignore when they're grooming the horse's legs, like the hocks, like um up between the buttocks and um, the inside of the cannon bone where the tendons are and everything, and as well as the back of the pastern and the fetlock, all of that. You really need to get in there deep and uh, curry with the gloves. So, again, make sure you get up uh, inside those invisible places. Here's a little hint for you. When you are grooming the left side of your horse... That's the time to brush and clean the inside of his opposite leg. So if I'm brushing my horse from the left side, I'm going to go down the outside of my horse's left leg. I go around the inside too because I use the gloves and I'm using two hands. But while I'm on the left side of the horse, I can easily see the inside of his right legs. So that's when I go ahead and reach over, make sure your ho- you don't surprise your horse and take catch him off guard by touching him on the other side. But I like to clean out, clean the inside of the opposite leg, if that makes sense when I'm on that side because that's when I can actually see it. And the same thing when you're spraying your shoshine or you're spraying your fly spray. Spray the inside of those legs from the opposite sides. I already mentioned with the white socks, I wanna really, um, when I'm shampooing that horse, pay extra attention. I wanna curry with the gloves. One of the things I love about the hands-on grooming gloves is you can use them wet or dry. And they're really great when you're shampooing for getting deep down into the skin and really cleaning that hair coat in tricky areas like the legs like the fat locks and all that hair that can be um, at the bottom of the horse's legs. So for the white socks, I'm going to use some kind of whitener and really curry in there deep and get a, and I'm going to use the curry again when I'm rinsing. those white socks can be persistently dirty because there's <laughs> so much exposure to the dirt being close to the ground. So in terms of the legs for tools used, I already mentioned the grooming gloves, but I also use a brush that's called a pastern brush. It's a fabulous tool. Um, It has raised bristles in the middle that allow you to get inside the inside of the legs clean and the back of the pastern, the heel of the horse. It's basically a... Hairbrush that's designed just for the legs. It's kind of a stiffer brush, so it it helps you clean the horse's legs. Whether you're just brushing the legs off because you're getting ready to ride or you're doing a deeper clean, um, that pastern brush is a really great tool. Uh, Products used on the legs, pretty much the same as um, the rest of the the body. Um, The Miracle Groom and the Stain Remover and Whitener, we might use a little bit more. And occasionally, I might want to use an antifungal product on the hind legs of the horse, sometimes the front legs too, if your horse tends to get that, you know, greasy, gunky buildup on its legs. So the final part of the horse I want to talk about is the face. As I mentioned, this is one of the um, most frequently ignored parts of the horse in terms of grooming And I think that's too bad. Most horses, if you do it right, love having their face uh, groomed. And there's nothing um, more beautiful than a well-groomed face. And um, a lot of people wouldn't even notice that in a horse. But just like the rest of his body, the hair coat on his face is going to look more beautiful when it is regularly curried and groomed. I, uh, again... You might need to use a very, very soft brush or, like I said, the grooming gloves, even those finished gloves if your horse is not tolerant of very much pressure on his face. But if you allow the horse to adjust slowly... And you just use uh, use the gloves, but use them with the least amount of pressure and kind of slowly work up to more of a, a deep currying pressure. Obviously, he can tolerate a lot more pressure on the muscled part of his jowl and up on his forehead than he can on the bonier parts as we get down towards the muzzle of the horse. The skin is quite sensitive. We could not use any kind of currying-type pressure there. We're going to clean that muzzle more with a soft, damp rag, maybe some witch hazel. Um, I like to clean up inside the nostrils of the horse. I like my horses to get used to having their nostrils handled. It's going to come in handy. And I like to, you know, just clean out their nose. Uh, They may not like it at first. No horse loves it. But you can get a lot of caked-on dirt and boogers and stuff like that up in the nose, and it will feel better. So I think you need to to use only the softest rag. I like using microfiber rags. And um, as I mentioned, I'll often... Maybe dampen that rag with some cool water, and then put witch hazel on it. Witch hazel is a very mild astringent. It's going to actually be soothing to the skin. So for cleaning the eyes and the nostrils and the muzzle, um, I'm going to strictly go with a microfiber rag, um, maybe a little bit of witch hazel, and. Uh, the rest of the face, I'm going to, you know, curry like the hair coat with as much with as much pressure as the horse will tolerate. Then I'm going to lay down that hair um, by brushing. I want to pay particular attention up around the ears where the forelap comes out of the horse's um, between the ears, you know, trying to get that hair where the hair coat turns to main hair is an area that's often undergroomed. So you can kind of gently curry up in there. When I say curry, I mean that very lightly. But you do need to groom that hair as well as all the rest of it. If you are bathing your horse when it comes to the horse's face, please be considerate of your horse and make sure you don't get any water in the horse's ears. I see people spray in a horse's face with water and the horse is getting water into his ears, um, he's not made for that, and uh, and it's going to be very uncomfortable for him. So uh, be be very considerate. Some horses l- that enjoy water will love having cold water sponged um, down their head or face. Uh, but so be be careful, be considerate of your horse. Uh, use a sponge or a very small stream of water coming from your horses, uh, from your hose, but um, be gentle about it and go slowly. Uh, be Be wary of using soap on your horse's face if you do not think you can rinse it out of there. And be wary of using, of course, anything that might get into the eyes of the horse and cause any irritation there. So as far as tools used for the face, as I mentioned, uh, the gloves, the finished gloves in particular work well. I want to make sure I have a soft face brush and the microfiber rags. Um, For products used, I'm going to stick with more natural products on the face. I like to use witch hazel for cleaning eyes and nose and the inside of the ears. Uh, We also use a lot of coconut oil in our grooming, and we can soothe that skin around the eyes and muzzle with just a little bit of coconut oil, so we'll take that coconut oil, rub it into our hands good, and then just kind of, um, after the horse has been cleaned, the face has been cleaned, you can rub a little of that coconut oil into the bare skin, around the muzzle, uh, around the eyes of the horse, not too much. Use a very, very minimal amount of product, but it'll just moisten that skin, it'll bring out a nice, deep, rich color, And it'll help restore some of the moisture to the skin that you might have just wiped out of there by cleaning it. So those are the tricks I can offer you for the face of the horse. And just remember, we tend to ignore that uh, face and it it deserves a little attention too. And it's going to look all the better for your efforts. And finally, I just want to talk to you a minute about comfort concerns for your horse. Remember, horses are comfort-seeking animals. The two things a horse wants most in life is safety and comfort. I think it is absolute necessity to provide shade for your horse in the summer. Um, I I always feel terrible when I, I drove by the other day driving through Oklahoma and it was 100 degrees and there were horses out in the pasture without a single stitch of shade, not even a bush. And you know, they were coping fine. Horses are amazingly adaptable animals, but wouldn't it be nice if you could just provide a little bit of shade for that horse, particularly on those hot summer days. Also, I think it's important to address fly control. Again, every climate is different. We are fortunate here in the high mountains of Colorado to not have a ton of biting bugs this time of year, July and August, the flies do start biting. It's when we have our worst biting insects. And we use a lot more fly product, fly spray during that time. I like UltraShield family of fly spray products because they make four different solutions and I find different horses and different times of year call for different types of solution. Um, they have a green solution, which I like. I don't, I'm don't. i not a big fan of poison, but um, sometimes it's a necessary evil with horses. I've had horses that were so sensitive skin that they can't tolerate fly spray. So UltraShield makes a green fly spray product that is all natural and it, a horse with sensitive skin can tolerate it. And then they have formulations that get stronger and stronger. So uh, when the flies are just kind of minimally bad, uh, we use the red product. But then when they get worse, we use the extra strength product. So um, we can vary according to the conditions and according to individual horses. So that's kind of nice. Fly sheets, if you really have your horse turned out in in areas with a high level of biting insects, covering them uh, with well-made fly sheets, have a belly band, cover up even the ears and face a little bit. Um, Those can work very well. Just make sure that they are well vented, that the horse is not sweating underneath the fly sheet because he might prefer biting flies over over heating. And uh, wherever possible, make sure there's some UV protection in there too. I think it's really important not to use dark colored um, blankets and fly sheets and coverings on your horse um, when they're out in the sun. And then just remember uh, one more thing on your horse's comfort. Turning him out with sweat marks on his back and on his face is a big no-no in my book. um, And it's inconsiderate of your horse's comfort. So, look, I know there are many, many variables when it comes to the climate that you're in the types of facilities you have, the access you have to your horses, even the traditions in your area, and and sometimes the culture you're in. All of these things affect how we groom and care for our horses. There's no one right way. In, in my climate, it's very cold and dry. Um, this certainly brings out different challenges than a lot of horse owners deal with in the summer. For many of you, it's the heat and the humidity that is a problem. So all of these things are gonna change how we manage our horses. The good news is that horses are amazingly adaptable to any climate they're in. That's why they've thrived as a species for so long. And uh, we have to adapt our horse management to the climate that we're in as well. Hopefully, you found a few tips here that will make your horse life better and some food for thought in terms of how you manage your own horses. I'd love to hear your comments about this subject. If it gave you some new insights or helped you get ready for your next adventure with your horse, please leave me a comment at juliegoodnight.com podcast. And now, it's time for my favorite segment: What the Hay Q and A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. So, if you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I've not answered your question yet, I hope to get to it soon. Or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So please stay tuned. Our first question comes from Gabriella via email. And she says, my herd-bound horse has been accepted by two herds already and has been beaten up and ostracized by the herd. Should I force him to suffer a solitary life or keep trying? <laughs> well, Gabriella, it sounds like either way, your horse might be suffering. And again, every one of us is entirely different in the options that we have for where we keep our horses, how much control we have over it. Um, I can't sit here and say there's one right way to do things or or even one wrong. You know, occasionally I can say, no, that's just plain wrong. But in terms of how we manage our horses and keep them with a herd or solitary... There's so many factors involved there that I could ask you a lot of questions and we could mitigate a lot of circumstances, but I would say, in general, no. Um, It's not always the best thing for the horse to put him in with hostile herds. Um, I think it's important for you to always make sure the horse's welfare is the number one priority, And sometimes that may mean that the horse is better off being in a solitary situation. Look, we know that horses are herd animals. Research shows us that behaviorally, um, physically, and mentally, horses need contact with other horses. They need it for their socialization. They need it in order to feel safe. They need it um, to form bonded relationships. And in a perfect world, horses also need to be able to touch other horses. A lot of touching and a lot of cooperative behavior occurs between horses. So we know in general that it's better for horses to be kept with other horses. But if the only other horse you had to put your horse with was a bully and beat him up every single day and chased him off the food and made his life miserable, that is not a better situation for your horse. So I think introducing a horse into a new herd of horses should always be done very carefully, very cautiously, to make sure no horses get hurt in the process. We know that can be very violent, and we know that some horses tend to have bullying behavior. So how much control you have over all of that is going to have a lot of... um, Is going to weigh in on what your options are. But let the horse tell you what's best for him. And you'll know. I mean, if the horse is miserable being with other horses, you'll see it. He'll be nervous. He'll be anxious. He'll be staying away from all the other horses. He will get thinner. He will look stressed. If when you separate him from the other horses, all of that stuff goes away, he looks more content, he's more relaxed he seems happier, then that's your answer. If when you separate him from the other horses, he falls apart, well, then maybe he'd rather be with that mean horse. Comfort and safety of the horse is number one priority, and we have to try to address that in every way that we can. Many horses are happier alone than being in a situation in which they're bullied. That should come as no surprise. Um, but horses do like to be close to other horses so even if you have a, a fence between your horse and the other horses if he can see them if he can interact over the fence that's better if you are keeping your horse in a solitary situation uh, please consider getting a companion animal for the horse and it could be almost any species of animal we all know stories of uh, you know horses that have bonded to cats or or ducks or goats. You know, goats are the classic companion animal for horses. It could be a miniature donkey. Um, it, it could be a dog. Horses will bond. If there's no horse for a horse to, to bond with, he'll bond on another animal. But companionship is important to a horse. Leading a stress-free life, free of terror and free of injury is also really important to your horse. So you're going to have to uh, weigh those things out. And one more Point I'll make is if we are in a situation where we're keeping a horse in a solitary situation, as I mentioned, if he can see and touch over the fence other horses, that's better. If not, get him a companion animal, but consider adding enrichment to that horse's life, particularly if he's being kept alone. That means you need to interact with the horse a lot. It means you need to take him places, provide him with novel stimuli so that he gets a little interest in his life, something to play with in his pen, uh, something new that changes that he has to think about. Just think about adding a little bit of enrichment to that horse's life. Our second question comes from Linda via Facebook Messenger, and she says, I have an older mare who doesn't want to stand still for mounting. She will go back, step away, any direction to avoid being mounted. She rides well and has been a brood mare and mostly put out in the pasture for the last seven years. Thank you. Linda my mind immediately goes to a physical problem for this horse, uh, particularly when, whenever I hear a comment like, you know, otherwise this horse is doing perfectly well, but there's just one thing that seems to be misbehavior. You know, usually horses that misbehave, they misbehave a lot in a lot of different areas. So if it doesn't fit with the overall picture of the horse, it's probably not calculated misbehavior. And the other thing that stands out to me is the fact that this horse has been a brood mare and has been out of riding condition for some time. That kind of screams of um, the horse actually having some physical discomfort. So as with all matters of any kind of training problem with the horse, we always have to rule out physical causes first. And the reason why is because behavioral problems are often a result of a physical problem or a result of the horse feeling some pain, either currently or in its past. And, and, you know, in other words, maybe um, it's actually a post-traumatic stress type of situation in terms of his behavioral problems. Um, But we always have to rule out a physical problem first. Brood mares, look, if... Uh, anybody listening has ever had a baby? You know what that does to your body. Now add to that total inactivity and having multiple babies. Um, broodmares have have had their body uh, sort of destroyed for riding, and and it takes a long time to build up the top line in those horses and to get them in riding condition. So I want to, uh, I want you to get medical clearance from this horse from an equine vet preferably one that specializes in lameness or performance, so that that vet can do an in-depth check of the horse from the feet up to the back. Um, You know, back problems in broodmares are particularly suspicious, but in general, we always look for lameness and soreness from the feet up because statistics tell us that's uh, most likely to be occurring lower down in the horse So you need to have a complete check. Sometimes um, behavior or soreness is transferred from one area of the the body to another, Um, and and particularly the fact that this mare is a little bit older. So just like people, um, she almost certainly has some arthritis and or some old injuries that flare up. Um, This is why being on a great joint health uh, supplement like cosequin is going to be super important for these older horses coming back into riding condition uh, to help um, help with that arthritis. Sometimes one area of soreness leads to another, like if, if the right hawk hurts, uh, I don't know, in compensation, we might see soreness in the left side of the neck of the horse or something like that. So it's not always a straightforward thing. That's why we have to do an overall body check. Um, from a qualified veterinarian. And and by the way, there are many amazing biologic treatments available for older horses or any horses that give great relief to joint soreness or um, physical problems and will greatly add to the longevity of the horse. So you could have a situation with an older horses where there are actually multiple sources of pain that are culminating in a problem, and and all of those may be perfectly treatable um, pharmaceutically, but diagnosis um, will require a lameness specialist uh, or a performance horse specialist. So consider that. It's going to involve some money for sure, uh, but it's going to be money well spent if you get another 5, 10 uh, years out of that horse and if you get that horse comfortable in the, in and uh, eliminate all their pain. So when it comes to, to discerning misbehavior from discomfort, from physical discomfort, this can be difficult sometimes. But there are clues. And one big clue would be, what what is the horse's motivation? If I think this is misbehavior... What is it he's trying to get out of? You know, what What purpose is this misbehavior serving? And um, unfortunately, oftentimes, this does happen. Horses learn that they can get out of stuff by doing certain trickery. And this can often happen happen with mounting. So I'm not saying you definitely don't have a training problem because, and by the way, you're, this uh, something like this could have started with actual soreness or discomfort on the horse. But then the horse learned through its antics that it was also a good way to keep you from getting on. So discerning all this stuff can be tricky sometimes we you know we need a professional trainer for that Uh, ruling out the physical is going to be your first step always so consider what motivations the horse might have is the horse simply manipulating you is this behavior consistent with the horse's overall attitude and training level Um, try to read the emotionality of the horse Uh, Does he look like he's got a little smirk on his face or does he actually look stressed and bothered? Um, So there there are clues there if you look for them. Um, Obviously, you want to make sure saddle fit is not a problem when a horse is uncomfortable for cinching and mounting. Um, We definitely want to double and triple check saddle fit. I want to make sure that saddle tree completely meets the back of the horse. In other words, it's not bridging or putting all the pressure in front or all the pressure in back. Um, you say she was a brood mare for a number of years. So oftentimes we get we lose the muscling on the top line of the neck. The belly of the horse gets really big because their abdominal muscles have lost conditioning. And that's not a good shape for a, a treed saddle. <laughs> so we want to make sure that if she does have a weak-looking top line, that number one, you're doing something to recondition her, and number two, that she has plenty of padding uh, between the saddle and her back. If the horse is lacking conditioning in the top line, we probably want to do some conditioning with that horse um, without a rider on its back. Um, I'm a big, big believer in using my bidding system. In fact, we've got a horse here right now with a mild case of kissing spine and we keep him regularly conditioned um, by just five minutes a few times a week in the bidding rig which is it's you know so kind of a little bit like if you did five or ten sit-ups every day how over time it would um, gradually strengthen your abdominal muscles and that is what builds the top line of the horse's back so you might consider some conditioning programs for this horse And by all means, always use a mounting block. If there's ever a question about the horse's uh, comfort, always use a mounting block. Its it's main purpose is to protect the back of your horse. Um, Be very careful about your cinching or girthing process. Um, Make sure you do it slowly. You don't over-tighten. If she's got big old prominent withers, that center girth does not need to be over-tightened. And um, if you have ruled out all physical, medical issues, um, you know, make sure that horse doesn't have ulcers going on, everything. And you've taken a good look at your saddle fit, um, and you can rule that out. The next thing we turn to is training. And this is uh, shouldn't be long or hard. It's going to be way more complicated to rule out all the other stuff first. If it does come down to just simply retraining the horse, you need to start by teaching the horse to stand perfectly still on your authority um, away from the mounting situation. Then you'll bring it to the mounting block uh, with the horse in a halter so that you can easily correct it. There's some other tricks that you can use for teaching the horse to stand still for mounting if he's just simply learned some bad habits, or some trickery. There is a lot of information on my website about this. So just go to juliegoodnight.com, click on Academy, and search Standstill for Mounting. Our third and final question comes from Therese. Hi, Julie. I'm a senior fan of yours from Down Under. I am 70, I ride a very thick barrel of a pony, gathering cattle on a regular time frame. I also show western dressage, ranch riding, and equitation. Our country is high, rocky, hilly, and undercuts rivers and creek beds. I can't afford to fall off a slipping saddle. Here is my dilemma. I hope you can throw some advice to me. This pony is solid, only 14.1 hands high but just as wide. He is a draft fit, mutton withered, short backed, and coffee table flat back. He has big shoulders and is bigger on his right shoulder than the left, which causes serious saddle slips. I have bought, I don't know how many saddles that didn't fit. I then outlaid a kidney and got one custom made. It's a beautiful saddle, but so heavy I can't lift it, and it rubs on his shoulder. He is now 10, so he is done growing. So my question to you is, which saddle of yours do you think would be my best choice? I value your opinion, and thank you for taking the time to read this. Well, first of all, let me say thank you to you, Therese, for listening to my podcast. And also, I think you are an inspiration to others that I I think just reading this This question, I can sort of picture uh, what a tough and confident and active 70-year-old you are, and I just think that's inspirational, and it sounds like your country down there in Australia is very similar to ours here in the high mountains of Colorado, and, uh, you know, the truth is none of us can afford to fall off on the rocks, Uh, but we know that the older we get, um, the less we can afford it. So it's great that you have a nice, reliable pony and that he's short to the ground, which is a handy thing. But the thickness and that barrel shape obviously is very tough for saddle fit. Um, Look, I've got some unfortunate news um, for you, Therese. If you've tried numerous saddles and none of them work, my saddles aren't going to be a magic bullet for you. Um, I think most saddle makers will tell you if you've gone through like, you know, five, six, seven different saddles um, that are somewhat standardized types of saddles and none of them work on your horse, um, you know, you're probably not going to find a saddle to fit. And then the best that you can do do then is mitigate, find the best fit that you can, and then mitigate the rest um, through padding and through um, your strap goods. So let's talk about this for a minute. Uh, By the way, the custom saddle, you know, a horse's body shape changes so much from year to year that a custom saddle, um, it may work for a short period of time, but as the horse ages, his body shape changes so much that often that customized fit doesn't doesn't work in the future. You have a symmetry in your horse. You have a horse that has low, very low withers and is very thick and rounded um, at the withers. All, all of these things, he's, he's very short-backed. He's very broad in the back. All of these things in and of themselves make for diff- difficult saddle fits. And so when you add them all together, you, as you know, you have a tough road to hoe. So, um, let me just throw a few tips your way. Um, first of all, my saddles are made on a flexible tree, and Circle Y has a second generation modernized version of the flexible tree, it's called the Flex 2 tree. I would, I would be willing to bet a flexible. Tree A flex two tree is going to fit your horse better than a rigid tree because it will adjust somewhat to the shape of the horse. It's not going to be perfect, but there's a good chance the flexible tree will be better. Um, The length of the saddle, in, in other words, the cut of your saddle skirts may make a big difference in a short coupled thick barreled horse. If you're getting a lot of bridging in that saddle, um, you may see a different fit when you take that horse to a short skirted saddle. So my two, the two saddles in my line, the Monarch and the Wind River, are identical saddles built on identical trees except for the length of the skirts of the saddle. And the Wind River is shorter in overall length. And even though the tree of the saddle is exactly the same and the rest of the configuration of the saddle is exactly the same, you will see a difference in fit between the river, Wind River and the Monarch because the Wind River is, a sh- is shorter in overall length. So that's something you want to definitely um, consider. With a really thick, rounded horse like that, the less padding you use, the better. Look, he doesn't need much padding anyway because Mother Nature gave him a lot. And the more you pad that horse up, the more you separate, the more layers you have between his back and the saddle tree, the more prone it's going to be to slipping. Since you have asymmetry in your horse's shoulders, I I will tell you a little trick you might want to try. And that is, if you if you can get a uh, wool felt pad, so preferably at least three quarters inch thick um, and maybe one inch thick, depending on how much asymmetry your horse has, then um, you're going to place that pad on your horse's back and make sure you get a real clear idea of exactly where that pad should sit on the horse's back when it's... Um, when, when the horse is saddled. And then what you're going to do is find that the shoulder that protrudes, in other words, the shoulder that's bigger, look at it very closely, lay a flexible ruler or bend a coat hanger or something to where you can try to really identify that asymmetry. So wherever the shoulder bulges, um, you're going to, what I do is I just take some Clay or toothpaste or anything, any pasty kind of stuff, and put a layer of that paste over the bulging part. Carefully set your pad on the horse's back exactly where it's going to sit when the horse is saddled, and then pull it straight up so that that pasty stuff put a mark on the bottom side of your wool felt saddle pad, and then With a knife or a razor blade, uh, you know, like box cutter, kind of razor knife, you're going to actually cut out a bubble into that wool felt. So now, instead of shimming out your pad or adding more padding to take out the asymmetry in the horse's back, you're actually taking away padding over the asymmetry so you get a little closer fit of the saddle pad to the horse's back. So that is one thing you might try to get a handle on that asymmetry. Also, when you have a mutton withered horse, a real round barrel shaped horse, you want to use a uh, what's called a split wither pad or a cutback pad, uh, sometimes called a cutaway pad. And that's a pad that's actually cut back at the withers or cut away at the withers. So your horse doesn't have, his withers aren't protruding, so there's nothing for that pad to stick on. So by cutting away, um, it'll put the edge of the saddle up against um, the base of the wither of the horse. That can help. Also, they do make saddle pads. Um, Most of my saddle pads come with what's called a tacky two Um, surface on the bottom of the pad. So there are are tacky or sticky made pads uh, that help with the slippage. So definitely look into that. And then finally, your strap goods are going to make a difference um, in saddle slippage. So obviously, a good saddle fit and an appropriately tightened cinch is going to be your number one line of defense. But make sure you have a well-fitted breast collar as well. I would use a flank cinch on this horse that is uh, snug. And you might also consider using a crupper strap. And uh, most of my saddles have a hook at the back where you can attach a crupper, which goes from the back of your saddle underneath and around the tail of the horse, the dock of the tail, and it just helps further stabilize that saddle. None of these things are going to completely prevent the saddle slipping side to side but it will help the biggest thing that will prevent your saddle slipping side to side is the rider remaining balanced and not relying on the stirrups for balance so make sure you yourself as a rider continue to work on your balance on occasion practice riding without your stirrups so you keep honing your balance as we age our our balance has a tendency to decline but balance skill you can always improve through through exercise so make sure we address the skill of the rider as well when we're dealing with that slippage so i hope that helps Therese. be careful out there on your wild adventures with your uh, draft pony and thank you for being a dedicated listener to my podcast That's all the questions we have time for today. You know, I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have a question for what the hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here are a few tips if you want your question answered on the air. We'd greatly appreciate it if you'd keep your question concise and use proper punctuation so I can read it properly out loud. And please, proofread before hitting send. This will help us out a lot. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please, invite your equestrian friends to join us. You can find this podcast on every platform. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles all of its searchable content, or you can enroll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence. Or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you'll receive a 12-month training curriculum for you and your horse, plus personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your insightful comments and for the five-star ratings. You know, it helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride.